there's a very specific feeling that creeps up on Sundays. It can start out with a general feeling of being unsettled or restless. The anxiety grows until, boom, you've caught it. The Sunday scaries. If this is you, I can help. My name is Dora Kamau. I'm a meditation and mindfulness teacher at Headspace and the host of a new Spotify-exclusive podcast called The Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries is out now. Tap the banner to listen for free right here on Spotify. Wow, that is beautiful. It's quite a surprise. It's incredible. That gold ceiling with stars all over it. I'm in Fitzrovia Chapel, just off the busy Oxford Street in central London. I often imagine the bloodied surgeon in the middle of the night after a difficult operation just coming and sitting in here. It's all that remains of the old Middlesex Hospital. Someone took a photo during the building works where they had brought down every building around and you can see the chapel on stilts in the middle of this muddy wasteland in central London and it's quite eerie. This is Faye, who runs the chapel now. She's the custodian of the memories, buried beneath the office blocks, apartments, shops and restaurants that encircle us. The Middlesex Hospital was a medical powerhouse within London. If you look through the records and you see some of the people who were treated here, Churchill was treated here, you know, it was regularly visited by members of the royal family. The now demolished wards once teamed with patients, doctors and nurses who'd seek respite in the chapel. And one of those was Bridget, the nurse at the centre of our ghost story. As I leave the chapel, walking out into the modern development that looms over it, I have something she said ringing in my ears. The hospital has been demolished, just the chapel remains. I believe it's a development site for shops and apartments and flats. And I pity anyone that lives there in the future because I cannot for a minute begin to imagine the ghosts that will be in that place. I'm Danny Robbins, and this is Haunted. Do ghosts exist? If not, why do we see them? In the previous episode... We had a patient called Les. From my memory, he was 81. He was definitely into his 80s. I came on duty, found out he died. Kristen said to me, why didn't you tell me about Les? I just said, oh, I'm really sorry, I forgot. I'm honestly sure that that's what triggered the chain of events. The buzzer started going off at night and there was nobody in that, that bed. And then in the morning, Peely, who was our lovely domestic, she came running out. Bridget, Bridget, there's things all over the room. And we went in and the towels from the paper handheld dispenser were strewn all over the room. And she straight away thought there was a haunting and she thought it was Les. Malevolent experiences, objects moving, a sense of dread, drop in temperature, multiple witnesses. This could be the holy grail of hauntings. Episode 10, The Night Shift, Part 2. Get down. Sorry. That's okay, what's he called? 
Rusty. I'm in Bridget's house in the Scottish countryside, sitting by the fire. He's playing for sympathy now. Look at he that. Is. Rusty, that's shameful. In the last episode, we heard her describe the strange events over several nights on the fourth floor of the Middlesex Hospital in the summer of 1992. This time, we're going to hear about Bridget's final night shift. At the end of an odd week, she and her fellow nurses were uneasy. It was a very unsettled night. So there was myself, Denise, another staff nurse, and a staff nurse called Lisa. So we were all on duty. The previous nights had been marred by loud noises, clattering and banging, that seemed to come from the empty side room Les had died in. And tonight... Same thing happened. Empty room, banging and clattering all night long. Are we talking hours of this? Yeah. The first part of the night, we went to check, and then we just got too scared. And when you went to check, what happened? Nothing. Okay. There was nothing there. Bridget and her colleagues huddled together by the nurses' station, reluctant to make their rounds alone. We were going in two... Well, in fact, we probably went in threes because one person wouldn't have wanted to be left by themselves. So doing our breathing rounds, we were having to go together and going to the loo, instead of going to a loo that would have been reserved for the staff, you'd have gone to the patient's loo just because it was right at the ward. That's how scary it got. So all those ghost stories you'd been enjoying sharing... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They got real? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Bridget knew that each of the last two mornings, Peely, the ward's Spanish cleaner, had opened the door of Leza's room to find a scene of chaos. Objects seemingly scattered by an invisible hand. And she dreaded what they might find in there tomorrow. But, as it turns out, she didn't have to wait. We heard the loudest bang clatter that we'd had to date. So it was enough that we all just jumped up and stood up and we, I don't know where we thought we'd be able to go, but we crouched, we were stood, like, squashed together by the telemetry machine. So you were hiding behind the heart monitor machine? Yeah, we were, like, we were kind of... Lisa, who was a tall girl, her and I were standing right at the edge, but we were literally clutching each other and Denise was in front of us and we were beginning to cower. Can and you remember what you were saying to each other? At first it was, can you hear that? Did you hear that? And we were looking down the length of the nurses station and we got scared at that point so up until then it was like god this is a bit freaky we're a bit scared when we're doing our rounds this genuinely got very scary because we felt like something was going to happen and we didn't know what it was we were looking in the same direction and at eye level height this ball of light came out from the direction of Les's room it was huge well huge it was like the size of a great big ginormous watermelon it was a yellowy goldeny color it traveled out from that direction and it was slow it was slow enough that we were going can, can you see that we were trying to speak but you know dry mouth because you were scared we didn't know what we were seeing but we were literally like can you see that can you see that yes am i the only one that's seen this no no i'm not because denise has seen it and lisa's seen it and we're clutching each other so this light just slowly I remember how slow it was and that's why I know it wasn't just a blink of an eye thing it just travelled across the width of the ward and then it went out through the wall just disappeared 
How did you feel? Oh my God, I was so scared. Absolutely so scared. Because I knew it was because they were seeing it as well. If I had to pick one thing that made me get on that plane to Scotland to meet Bridget, it's this. All of the many strange things I've encountered on this series were experienced by only one person at a time. But here were three nurses, pragmatic professionals, trained to have scientific, rational minds, all seeing the same thing. But what was it? Was it a ghost? I think it was. And I I don't know how to make sense of it because I'm an atheist. I believe when you die, you die. So I can't explain it. And that's quite troubling in itself. It makes you question your belief systems and the fact that there were so many events that all happened in relation to that room in that period of time, like the paper towels and the dividers from the folder, the buzzers. That's what makes me believe it was a ghost. Would you like someone to offer you an explanation for this? Yeah, I'd be very open to hearing it, absolutely. After the break, we'll hear from parapsychologist Kieran O'Keefe. And after the light comes darkness. We didn't have the room open for long because she felt it, she saw it. She shut the door and she said, nobody else is going in here. Are you ready to finally access your intuition, to dive deeper into your soul's purpose, to manifest abundance, joy, peace, and ease, and let it all be fun? Well, if so, come check out the Highest Self Podcast. It's the number one spirituality podcast, and now we're on video here on Spotify. My name is Sahara Rose. I'm here to be your spiritual bestie, and I can't wait to share my grounded approach to spirituality with you. So tune into Highest Self Podcast, and I'll see you there. You've got a case that has elements of haunting, elements of poltergeist activity, but also the level of detail that Bridget is talking about and the level of detail that is able to be verified, I think, by the other witnesses. For me, it's fascinating. You'll remember that Kieran is a modern-day ghost hunter who doesn't believe in ghosts. He's the head of psychology at Buckinghamshire New University. I played him recordings of my interview with Bridget, and I'm intrigued to know what he makes of how the case is developing. Am I the only one that's seen this? No. No, I'm not, because Denise has seen it and Lisa's seen it and we're clutching each other. I get a real sense that this potentially could be one of the holy grail of hauntings. You've got a group of witnesses reporting the same thing. And what I would love to be able to do is be back at that hospital 30 years ago, immediately after it, and separate all of the witnesses, like you would in kind of a forensic type investigation. Have them all in separate cubicles, like your archetypal Hollywood crime film, and interview them separately and see if their stories match. That would be wonderful. And if that happened in that particular case, I would. I'd hold my hand up and go, I've got no explanation for it. But Kieran thinks the length of time since the event makes things a little more complicated. There's a mountain of research within psychology and specifically within forensic psychology showing that you can have false memories, either through questioning, and the classic example is when a classroom of students 
out in America were asked about their visit to Universal Studios. And in that, they asked about seeing Mickey Mouse. Quite a few of them said, no, we didn't see Mickey Mouse. And they carried on. Two weeks later, then going back into the class, asking them about Mickey Mouse, and them all saying, we saw Mickey Mouse, and being able to describe in detail the Mickey Mouse that they had seen, which would never happen in Universal Studios, because Mickey Mouse is a Disney character. It's a false memory. Kieran explains how a story can grow in the telling without anyone realising. Looking back 30 years, one person potentially seeing the light and then saying, did you see the light to the other ones? And then going, I don't, uh, didn't quite see it or something out the corner of my eye. And they may have seen a flash. But as that story is told and as it's told to other people, as it's told to sceptics, which was when it becomes more detailed, potentially more exaggerated, albeit unconsciously. All of those kind of building on that original story, 30 years later, as it's built up, they have then gone, yes, it was a ball of light. Kieran makes a valid point. False memory has been cited as a factor in other ghost experiences and UFO sightings. But I'm not sure the nurse's story had time to grow in the telling. Because as soon as they saw the ball of light, they leapt into startled action. Bridget picked up the phone. We rang the night sister. What we thought the night sister could do, I don't know. But we rang the night sister. Is she the boss then? Yeah, she would have been the boss of the whole hospital at that point. And she told us not to go in the room and wait till she got up there. And she came up very quickly. What, What did you say on the phone though when you were calling her? There's a ghost there's been stuff going on in the side room. Really? Yeah. So what did she say to that? She would have been aware of the buzzers that would have gone off and whether or not she'd been told about the paper towels and the, the dividers, I don't know. So she told us not to go in there and to wait for her. But did you worry on a professional level that here you are a nurse calling mm-hmm. up your boss and saying, I've just seen a ghost? No. We knew we couldn't go into that room. It was too scary. and that, So therefore that was an issue in itself. There was no concerns at all that we would be reprimanded or she'd tell us to pull ourselves together. The night sister arrived minutes later. I picture the scene as she leads them across the dark ward towards Leza's room. Getting nearer to the closed door. The banging that emanates from within. Closer. Closer. Until finally the sister acts for all of them, reaching out a hand, taking the handle and turning. And she opened it, we were behind her, and then this is where it just sounds ridiculous, but I promise you it's what we experienced. The floor was like it was on a different level. There was a swirly mist, very, very fine, fine mist, but swirling there on the floor and it was freezing, it was absolutely freezing in there. And it was a horrible sensation, and it was one that you just didn't want to be in. And we came a step back, she shut the door, and she said, we're not to go back in there. What was the feeling of the room? Evil, it felt like you need to go out from here. There was nothing about it that was comforting or made you feel like at peace, or, oh, you know, this is Les just trying to make contact. It was. You shouldn't be here. Get out of here. It's horrible. If this was Les, Mm -hmm. why was he doing it? 
There's that possibility that I said I forgot him and he was reminding me that he was very much somebody that had been alive and that I maybe shouldn't have used that turn of phrase. Um, it could have been because he had such an unsettled time before he died and wasn't ready to go where he finally went. But it will always prey on my mind that I said that I'd forgotten him. Like a scene fresh from a horror film. I take it back to Kieran. This case has felt like the two of us are playing chess. Each explanation he offers, I counter with an ever more fantastical event. Now, I give him the icy, mist-filled room with its atmosphere of brooding menace. And he gives me infrasound. So low-frequency sound, below 20 hertz, has that ability to affect our body physiologically and in the right context can give us the impression that it's down to a haunting. And it can be simple things like there's a sense of presence, but also can create almost like a fight-and-flight response and result in a, an immediate drop in body temperature. But also particular levels of infrasound, when you get down below, say, 10 hertz, can give you a dizzy feeling, almost as though the floor's kind of about to give way, like you're standing on it and you just feel like... I'm slightly off kilter here. And in addition, infrasound at particular levels and for particular duration and decibel level can cause smearing. So it can cause smearing of the eyeball where in some people it can manifest a shadow but in other the smearing can give you that sense that um, I'm seeing almost interference on the eye. There's something there, it's like mist. In an environment where it is perfectly possible that you have lots of man-made machinery, infrasound would be a possible explanation. Infrasound is quite reliable in terms of affecting people's physiology, where you've got a group of people and it can affect them together. But bear in mind it's contextual. So infrasound could be around us. You can have infrasound played by church organs in cathedrals, for example. And if you experience the infrasound, you put that down to a sense of profundity, the presence of something ethereal, the presence of God. In a haunted environment, the effect that infrasound has on you could be down to the presence of the spirit. Kieran's eyes glitter, the detective trying to close the case. And what he says next stops me in my tracks. Coming up, have we solved the mystery? Each time we creep closer to one solution, I feel like we get tangled up in another. Infrasound could explain the odd feelings and mist in Les's room. False memory could explain the nurse's shared experience of seeing the light. And Bridget's guilt could have made her misinterpret odd nighttime noises. But then what about the paper towels and files hurled around the empty room each morning? How do we know that the object wasn't left in a precarious position, that it was just a matter of time before it fell off? The solutions stack on top of each other, a house of cards. They could all be possible, 
yet for them all to be possible at the same time, seems almost more fantastical than a ghost. Unless there was something to weave them all together, and it was less a house of cards than a domino effect. Because all these explanations can give you the symptoms of a haunting, but only if you already have your ghost. So where did the idea come from, that it was Les who was haunting the ward? Peely, who was our lovely domestic, she would go and do the breakfast rounds in the morning. Peely, the ward's Spanish cleaner, the tiny, formidable woman who was a mother figure to the nurses. She would have been told that the buzzers had gone off on the, the empty bed spaces and she came running out. Bridget, Bridget, there's things all over the room. A woman who had known Les as well as Bridget did and who we know believed in spirits. I know she was Catholic, she was very devout in her religion and she straight away thought there was a haunting and she thought it was Les. One person we've overlooked here is the cleaner. A cleaner who has a strong belief in this idea of, of ghosts and spirits coming back to haunt. And the cleaner who is ultimately the person that discovers some of these objects having been moved. Now who's to say that this cleaner isn't deliberately causing these objects to move, trying to get others to believe in what she believes in. Hold on, so why would she do this? She might genuinely believe that there's a spirit associated with that particular room. If she comes out of that room and, and says, I think there's a spirit there, I think it might be Les, or I just think there's spirits there, and the reaction that she gets from people is, no, I don't believe you, why couldn't she create one single phenomena that's more tangible and that's more physical to then get people on her side. So she's rectifying it and resolving it in her mind, saying it doesn't matter that I'm faking a single incident because I know, I believe in my heart of hearts, there's a spirit here. She's the character who moves unnoticed through this story. She's not only unnoticed in that she moves around the hospital and she is discovering these objects, she is also the unnoticed person that will go up to a group of nurses or the receptionist and have quite an innocent conversation. How are you today? Yeah, I'm fine, absolutely fine. I was cleaning down in Ward A last night. It was a bit spooky, don't like that area. That's it, conversation goes. But that's a seed of information. That's the suggestion element that's planted in that receptionist. Who knows what happens to that conversation, where the receptionist turns to somebody else in the reception or turns to a nurse that comes and goes, oh, what do you think of Ward A? Oh, it's fine. Oh, because I was speaking to so-and-so and she said it's a bit creepy. And then that goes over there and it goes to another conversation, another person. So, yeah, perhaps she is the overlooked, guilty partner in all of this. I feel like we're now potentially maligning somebody 30 years later. We're accusing someone of possibly faking a poltergeist incident. Is there an alternative argument that she accidentally knocked papers on the floor and either justified this using a ghost or other people leapt on this, what they'd seen, and said it must be a ghost? She may have accidentally done it and not realised that she did it. 
and attribute it to spirit. She may have accidentally done it and realised the gravity of what she's done. These could have been, well, I'm, I think that they were papers associated with the patient or they were medical records of some sort. Having knocked them onto the floor, they're now out of order. The gravity of that for her is, I've got to let somebody know about this, but I don't want to be blamed for it. So I'm going to blame it on the spirit. And you know what? The bonus there is that I get people on my side. Belief and fear have one thing in common. They are contagious. But there is always a but with this case. This is only a theory. If I've learned one thing making this series, it's that any ghost story is only as good as its teller. And as I look at Bridget, sitting across from me on the sofa by the fire, I see a rather remarkable woman, not easily spooked, utterly clear in the conviction of what she saw, and with several other people to back it up. You always know on a night shift, when you get to four or five o'clock in the morning, you get tired, and if your mind is going to play tricks on you at any point, it's usually at that time. But it wouldn't play the same tricks on different people at that same time. The door to Leza's room remained shut the rest of that night and the next. It would have been two days later, three days, maybe it was a Sunday. The room was exercised by the Roman Catholic priest, the chaplain for the, the hospital. And as far as I'm aware, nothing ever happened again. It's time for me to head back to London. Bridget walks me down the drive and we spend a moment watching the winter sun set behind the mountains. There is somebody in my thoughts because Peely the cleaner is not the only one who has had accusations thrown at them today. I think of Les, transformed into a malevolent spirit, but I picture him now as he was, a sick old man dying in a hot room, wanting to live. It's a funny thing about ghosts. Mm -hmm. They need death. Yeah. And and death gets you after a while. I feel like I've spent a long time in the realms of death Mm -hmm. making this series. I'm sure um, you have. It does make you think about mortality. Yeah. Your own death. Yeah. Those close to you, the people you love. Mm Mm-hmm. And I guess as a nurse, you feel that really keenly. Death is never very far away from any of my, my thoughts. It's something that you can't, I think, be exposed to for the amount of time that I have been and never have very far from your thoughts. I've got one last question before I go. Mm-hmm. After this happened with Les, did you ever forget to tell somebody that a patient had died? I really don't think I did. If I did, perhaps not relay that information as quickly as maybe I should have done, at least I know I'd never have done it as untactfully again. That's, that's something that I'll never forget. I'm going to have to go home now. I've uh, <laughs> got a long journey. I'm, I'm sad and reluctant to leave this beautiful spot, staring mm. out of the mountains <laughs> of Aberdeenshire. Um, thank you for telling me your story. That's all right. Thank you very much for coming up. I, um, I hope it's been a journey worth taking. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time to yeah. listen. Perhaps Les does still haunt Bridget. They say you die twice. Once when you stop breathing, and the second time when people stop saying your name. 
Thank you to Bridget for telling me her story, and to Faye Hughes at the Fitzrovia Chapel. And thank you to all the storytellers and experts who have helped me make season one of Haunted. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. If you've had a ghostly experience, we'd like to hear from you. Send an email to haunted at panoply.fm or find me on Twitter or Facebook. Thank you to everyone who's reviewed or rated the show so far. If you've enjoyed it, please tell someone you know. Haunted is a Chalk and Blade production for Panoply. It was written and presented by me, Danny Robbins. The producers are Ruth Barnes, Laura Sheeter and Simon Barnard. Music and sound design is by Pascal Wise. Jesse Brown painted our artwork. Special thanks to Ryan Dilley and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Until next time, sleep well. Your next audiobook listen, All Hallows by Christopher Golden. This supernatural thriller is eerily set on Halloween night in 1984. Family dramas are coming to a head, a neighborhood is falling apart, and four kids who don't belong show up to add a creepy level of mystery to an already unsettled scene. That's all before the real thrill and gore begin. This deadly thriller by New York Times best-selling author Christopher Golden is now available on Spotify.